single year around the time when it's the deadline to file your taxes in April. Articles appear in magazines, newspapers, online, everywhere you can imagine. Brokers, advisors, agents, bankers, everybody talks about IRA rules and regulations. What's funny is that I always smile because it's the same articles all the time. Now, here's the key thing. When you are approaching age 70 and a half and you're making your first IRA distribution required by law, there's only one rule you should be very focused on, and that is the failure to take out enough money will result in not only your tax obligation, but a 50% penalty. Now, don't ask me where this ever came from. I don't know. Now, a lot of people know that if you take money out before age 59 and a half, you have a 10% penalty on top of your taxes. You may know that you can take out what are known as substantially equal distributions, the annuitization of your IRA, and you can get money out before 59 and a half. There are various rules and regulations as to when you can and take, can't take money out, but the, I don't care about those. What I'm concerned about is that big one, that big 50% one. So here's what I have always suggested, and you're not going to read any articles on it because nobody talks like this. Because very few people that write these articles have the kind of experience that I have, and that is this. Real life experience working with normal everyday people means that nobody wants to get that 50% penalty. So when you work your numbers, yeah, you may work your numbers out where you need to take out $19,732. Well, that's just fine and dandy. But don't take out to the exact dollar amount. Always take out more. In fact, the minimum that I recommend anybody taking out of their IRA or a minimum mandatory distribution is 110%, meaning take out what you need to take out. That's the 100 and add an extra 10% on top of it. Why? Because the number of times I've had clients who have forgotten about a mutual fund or a real estate investment trust or a limited partnership or some brokerage account that they just lost track of or a 401k someplace they lost track of. It happens. You might think, oh, that's ridiculous. Well, then you're in la-la land because there's a lot of people that do that. I mean a lot. When you've been in the estate management and settlement area, when you've done documents for the number of years that we've done it, look, my experience extends over three decades. I've seen it. I can tell you the number of people who forget that they have certain accounts is a lot more than you realize. So you say, well, that's not me. I know exactly what I have. Well, that's good. You do. Congratulations. But you still should take out not less than 110%. Now, if your monies are invested, you have good health, is invested for the long term, you might say, well, maybe I should be doing this because what else? Okay. You actually might need to take more money coming out than you ever expect. In other words, your portfolio is growing and growing faster than you can take money out. And what happens if you now kept taking the minimum, the minimum, the minimum, and now when your account gets bigger and bigger and bigger, when you've got to take an ongoing larger amount out, tax rates go up sky high. I mean, look, let me ask you this question. It's 2019. Do you honestly think tax rates in the future are going to be any less than they are today? Do you think five and 10 years from now, tax rates are going to be higher or lower? Do you really think that with so many people, 50% of the population, it doesn't have a pot to pee in? They don't even have a thousand dollars that they can scratch together and any get they can't do it. They just don't have the money. Where do you think do you think the pendulum's gonna shift? There's gonna be a new administration in Washington at some point in time that will not be tax friendly, that may say, you know what, we're done. High debt, high deficit, we're gonna clobber everybody. 
and then you define what's rich. Remember, to somebody that has $1,000, $100,000 is rich. To somebody who has $100,000, maybe $10 million is rich. Define what rich is. It's relative. You never know what Congress is going to define as rich. So my point is this. If you are in that point in your life when you need to start considering taking out money from an IRA, okay, either you are or you're about to, you do realize that once you hit 59 and a half, you can start taking money out. You don't have to wait until 70 and a half. And I've said this forever and ever and ever. If this is the first time you're hearing this, then God bless you. But it's tax timing. I used to do a little seminar. I said, hey, now, let's take a look. Think about it like you're at Wimbledon, right? You got the tennis ball going back and forth and back and forth. It's tax timing. You want to pay on the low, not on the high. And for a lot of people, what you did is you put money into qualified monies. Back during the Reagan administration, you save 15, 20 cents on a dollar. Then when you retire and you've got more money than you could ever imagine, what happens if you start paying taxes at a 30 or 40 or 50% tax rate? Those days are very likely to come back. Remember, during Jimmy Carter, the highest tax rate, during Jimmy Carter, the highest tax rate was like 79%. World War II is 99%. They had a lot of deductions. People didn't pay those kind of money, that kind of, those kind of percentages. But the reality is we had those kinds of tax rates. Do you think tax rates are going to be higher? I'm not making a mountain out of a molehill. I've had these conversations over and over and over with people. And I've had people say, well, I can't take money out of my IRA. I'm not 70 and a half. Yeah, you can. You can take money out of your IRA anytime you want after age 59 and a half on a traditional IRA. So Roth continues to extend. There's rules and regulations. And the best person to understand those is not your investment advisor. That's not where you go for that advice. If you have an IRA, whether it's traditional or Roth, and you don't understand how things work, you need to bone up on your knowledge. But if you don't understand something when it comes to taxes, you do not use an advisor, agent, banker, broker, <clears throat> excuse me, or financial planner. What you want to use is a tax professional, a true fiduciary-based tax professional. That's a really important concept because, again... <clears throat> What you have with a lot of people out there is they are distracting you from their high costs by saying they're doing things like data aggregation, financial planning, giving you tax advice, and doing estate planning advice. No, estate planning, lawyer, taxes, accountant, insurance, agent, mortgage, mortgage broker, bank, banker, financial planner, do it yourself. Investment advisor, that's what we do. We're your investment advisor and manager. We're not your tax advisor, but I can give you some tax suggestions and that is when you take money out of an IRA, consider taking out at least that amount plus 10% so you don't get caught short. Because if you're short, it's a 50% penalty. Connecting dots is for educational use only. Investment performance is not guaranteed. Connecting dots is for educational use only. Investment performance is not guaranteed. Past performance is not indicative of future results. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation or needs. Nothing should be construed as an individual recommendation. Due to our extensive holdings and that of our clients, you should assume that we have a position in all companies discussed and thus a conflict of interest should be assumed. There is an article today in the Wall Street Journal about children and their phones. And I can tell you that this is a problem that I see coming up not just today, but in the many years ahead. We have a lot of people who are addicted to social media and these smartphones, and it's causing huge problems in school. 
burner phones are something that every school has to deal with. In fact, it appears that literally every school has a student somewhere who is selling burner phones out of their locker. That's not good. And it also can result in some real serious crime and bad things to children. So the one thing in school that who would have thought a few years ago is that we would have to be teaching children the upside and downside to technology and having them establish their own boundaries. In other words, common sense. Unfortunately, common sense is not that common. We have far too many parents that don't know how to be parents. They smile. They want to be your buddy instead of setting good, solid ground rules. It just is what it is. So parents drop contracts and the consequences of breaking contracts. It's called no, you got to do things, and these are the reasons why. Arguments over phones have been really substantial, and they're overwhelming. And in fact, we've seen here in our office, we know of people that have had, well, gone to jail and had family fights and, and have gotten really upset, not in our office, but we've known of people, that friends of friends, and it's been in newspapers. There was even a shooting that we talked about from people that we actually had heard of and we knew their parents and the kids just lost it over social media. Who said what to somebody else? Uh, the tensions get out of control. The provocative photos, all of the things. And then, you know, really people need some serious group counseling. So you need to watch your own behavior online. You need to monitor your children's behavior. You need to have a technology talk. Being open and blunt about technology and explaining that this whole thing about having phones on, in your face, in your ear, nonstop. That's not healthy. Again, like I've always said, sometimes you need to simply stop and smell the roses. Technology, technology is there to be useful, but a lot of people are using it abusively. But worse than that, they're being abused and they don't know it. Connecting Dots is brought to you by Fixed Cost Financial, the home of fixed cost investing. It's better because it's simple and works. Break the mold, be different. So Uber went public, so did Lyft. And there are some other pretty big startups that are going to be coming out and uh, going public. Startups is an interesting word because some of these companies have been around for quite a while. But here's the thing that a lot of these companies are doing. They're coming up with sales pitches about using alternative measurements of performance. Now, in other words, yeah, we're losing money hand over fist, but that's okay. You see the ride hailing business, these IPOs for Uber and Lyft, consumers aren't buying it. Investors aren't buying it. Lyft, for example, has fallen 33% since its debut back in March. And as of last Friday, Uber was down 18% from its initial public offering. So you had traditionally a matrix that is a company public. And if it's public, is it profitable? If it's profitable, I want a return of my money and then I want a return on my money. But I got to tell you, we've got another big one coming up called WeWork, the shared office space company. They filed for an IPO in December and uh, they asked people to treat it more like a tech firm rather than a uh, real estate play. It's going to be interesting to see how that turns out because they lost $1.9 billion last year. Now, here's the issue. We've talked about this a lot in several different podcasts for connecting dots. Early investors are simply looking to find some way for, well, some people say to sucker in the investing public so they can unload and make some kind of a profit and keep on moving. Look, buying companies, in my opinion, that are constantly losing money to the tunes of billions of dollars when it goes public and then you want to get a piece of it to me that's makes no sense 
Again, Uber, Lyft, and now WeWork, to me, it reminds me of the creative accounting scandals we had in the late 1990s and the dot-com bubble that, well, a lot of companies are saying, hey, we're losing money, but we're getting market share. We've got this pro forma profit. They came up with some of the craziest things. Now, good. Look, Silicon Valley is really known for having some really unconventional financial terms, like annual reoccurring revenue billings, bookings, and it gives an impression that they're really doing well. But the bottom line is, did you make any money? Are you, do you have customers? Are they loyal? Are you making a profit? If you're making a profit, is the stock price going up because of supply and demand? And here's the other thing. Are you paying a dividend? Are you paying a dividend out of your capital or out of your profits? If you're paying a dividend out of profits, well, that's good. How big of a dividend is it? is the dividend is equal to or greater than what I can get in a CD or treasury, now you got my attention. And then you couple that with appreciation, companies really going places, is gaining market share, that's good. But the metrics that people are using for some of these IPOs, this new math, okay, a new metric, where they don't wanna, they don't wanna account for things like good old fashioned costs. No, they say they have a better metrics to do, don't buy that non-stuff. There's a growing gap between what investors need to keep their eyes on versus what they actually are keeping their eyes on. Best thing to do, keep your eyes on the bottom line. Visit Dots at Dots FM for today's bonus feature. Addictions are something most people associate with drugs and addictions ruin lives normal people people like you and i and others have drinking problems they develop drinking problems in college that's not uncommon and they have a drinking problem in high school a lot of lawyers develop severe drinking problems. In fact, the Florida Bar Association and many bar associations across the nation have drug and alcohol dependency and rehab clinics and facilities for attorneys. <clears throat> and while the attorney can be disciplined for doing a lot of things wrong, it's the illegal use of drugs and alcohol that oftentimes they'll, well, get a blind eye by these bar associations because it's so widespread. Bad things happen when you have an addiction and you use drugs and alcohol. <clears throat> but we're not just talking about drugs and alcohol. This is not a rehab facility. This is an investment advisory firm here at Fixed Cost Financial. And bad things happen to people with really high IQs and really low IQs who have well, strong as well as weak emotional quotients and people that can and cannot connect the dots and do critical thinking. Now, some people simply become addicted physiologically to drinking. They have to drink to survive. They binge drink. Same thing with smoking. You know, smoking's not good for you. Anyone who smokes, they know that. It causes damage to the heart and the lungs, and it causes cancer. I actually know someone who was a heavy drinker and smoker, and his heart went bad on him. Whether it was through genetics or his behavior, I will simply say that I believe his behavior and the massive amount of smoking that he did <coughs> significantly contributed to his death. Oh, but he didn't die. He got a heart transplant. Got cleaned up, but his addiction was so strong, he went back to doing the same old thing and eventually dropped dead of a heart attack. That's just a waste of human tissue. But smoking, drinking, dying way too young, these are things people do all the time. 
Now look, drugs, marijuana, cocaine, meth, oxy, uppers, downers. There's just a lot of stories about people having problems out there. And if you're listening to this, there's a high probability that you or someone you know has a problem. It is estimated that anywhere from 20 to 30 million Americans have a serious drinking or drug problem. It's basically 25% of the population to 50% in many areas of research show that people have just extreme addictive behavior problems. We're not here to talk about drugs, booze, or cigarettes. No, I'm here today to talk about spending. And this will be an ongoing feature with Connecting Dots. 50% of the population of this country cannot pull together $10,000 to save their life let alone even $1,000. But why is that? Why is it that the majority of the population of the country is struggling because they're buying every single thing they can get their hands on? It's always something new. And people say, well, just buckle down and stop. As if it was the result of bad parenting. That's a common excuse. Or the person has a weak character. Or they simply make bad choices. Yeah, some of that's true. But the reality in life is, and this is not a cop-out, there's more and more evidence to show that neuroscience and brain activity have a heck of a lot to do with, well, addictions. And spending is an addiction. No if, ands, or buts about it. You see, a lot of people have this desire to have this now motivation, now satisfaction. I need it, I need it, I need it. It's like a drug addict. You see them on television, you've seen them in person, they, they've got, they need their fix. They can't wait to get a drink. They gotta light that cigarette up. They can't focus on anything unless they've got something in their hand, their mouth, that oral sensation that has to get into their bloodstream in order to make them feel reasonably normal. They got the jitters, they got the shakes, they can't concentrate. People who have a very serious smoking addiction, they can't concentrate for any length of time compared to those who don't smoke. That's a fact. Those who have these serious smoking break issues, they work, they got to take a break. They work, they got to take a break. I knew a man who was the head of a broker dealer in the area of trading and, and operations. And the old joke was they needed to drill a hole in the side of the high rise so he could have a blowhole because he could no longer smoke in the building. And the operations center where he was working was on the 17th floor. This guy lived in an elevator. It was just ridiculous. He eventually was terminated because he couldn't get his work done because he basically was living on the sidewalk going up and down the elevator, spending a few minutes with his people and then he needed another smoke break. A man that was paid well over a million dollars a year fellow that I used to consider a friend. I couldn't stand to be around this guy because it was like dealing with a fart in a frying pan. There's more and more awareness about how our brains work and when it comes to, well, the reward and punishment activities that go on in our brain. I mean, this is real stuff. Again, the pain and pleasure tends to be always focused on things like drugs and alcohol, but it also applies to games, sporting events, and sex. There is a soothing that is required when you have an addiction. And here's something that is going to be, well, a little bit hard to swallow, and that is everyone has an addiction. I, for example, fully admit that I have an addiction to learning. I can't walk talk, breathe, drive without having a pen and paper in hand. If I don't have a pen and paper, I've got some type of a device to dictate. I talk, I think, I rewrite things, I noodle, I am always creating ideas. That's just the way it is. 
Is that an addiction? Probably. Because at the end of the day, if I haven't created or written something new, I feel like it was a waste of time. At the same time, I am able to sit back and relax and enjoy and see things. But at some point in time in the day, I'll guarantee you, whether I'm on a beach or I'm traveling on a, the high seas, I'm going to be scribbling something in sand and trying to memorize it so that when I do get pen and paper, I can make a permanent note of it. So we all have some form of an addiction. And it can be very mild to well, uncontrollable. But it's a survival thing that all humans must have. Now that may sound strange, but we have to have an addiction. One of the addictions we all need is the addiction to survive. Survival at all costs. And the reality in life is those who cower when a maniac comes into a room and begins creating great bodily damage and death to people, well, those that cower don't have that overwhelming survival addiction. And the person who takes a pencil runs at the person knowing that there's a high probability they're going to die, but there's a chance they might live and they're going to take that chance to plunge that pencil in the heart of the person who is shooting their assault rifle. And that's a person who has a high addiction to survival. Who's likely to survive? Well, the people cowering are just waiting to be slaughtered. The guy that runs with the pencil might live, but it's a lot like the movie Wayne's World. You might remember that with Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. We are not worthy. We are not worthy. We got to get going. No, no, no. Stick around. Hang out with us. Cool. Yeah, we'll stay and hang around with us. With Alice Cooper. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're stuck. We suck. You see, that whole concept of not being worthy, that is a problem in life. So many people, when it comes to finances, just feel as though they're not worthy. You are. Everyone is. And just because everyone can be multimillionaires doesn't mean that most people will because they suffer from the addiction of spending money. Again, it's a pleasure and painful experience. So what constitutes a financial addiction or a spending dependency? Well, if you're not financially independent and you're not making progress every day, if you're not saving money every day, if you're not living a modern minimalist methodology and getting ahead, you have a spending problem. You have a spending addiction, period. There's no argument about this, not with me. You can argue all day long. I'm not going to listen to you. Now here at Fixed Cost Financial, we view life with a lot more black and white rather than gray. So if you're not financially independent and you're not working towards financial independence every day, such as thinking of yourself as a lifestyle business where business is a lifestyle, and if you're now beginning to meander and wander in your brain about something you want to have or do that costs money, that, boys and girls, is a spending addiction. You know, drugs and alcohol, they change the psychoactive biological components and functions of your brain. Drugs which are psychoactive, they change the brain, but there are also drugs that you take that don't. They help you. And there are, again, non-drug behaviors that cause the same thing. You see, these psychoactive responses in the brain, there's lots of research that shows that spending money, for example, or taking a high level of risk 
causes the same powerful drug responses in the brain as drugs. These pleasure and pain responses are, well, weird. Every one of us has them. For example, right now, I'm enjoying the fact that I'm sharing this information. I am absolutely on cloud nine, enjoying the fact that there's a possibility that someone is listening to this and is having a profound impact and change in their life. You know, one of the things that is absolutely true, and police officers know this especially, politicians know this, you have men and women who are chief executive officers in business, people who are deemed to be highly knowledgeable in finance. If you're tall and good looking, or you got the lucky golden ratio, you got the right hair, the right look, you have the right smile and the right tone of your voice, you're physically fit, you work out, you are a powerful person, and guess what? People want to be around you. Now, some people don't. Some people will look at those of us who are, well, members of the lucky gene pool, and they hate us right off the bat. It's like the beautiful blonde girl who says, I can't get a date because everybody's afraid of her. On the other hand, the ugliest girl in the whole place, everybody wants to go out with her because they view her as being easier than that beautiful girl that is way out of my league. But here's the thing. When you're standing around being a wallflower, who do you want to stand around? You want to stand around the pretty guy or pretty gal. That's a fact. So simply by association, there's addictions that occur by association. You feel stronger. People get high just being around money. They get high being around people who invest money, who earn money. But the problem is, are those who get high, and it's a high, an addictive high when people are spending money. Look at people when they gamble. When somebody's on a winning streak or a really horrible losing streak and everybody gathers around the slot machine or the table and they can't believe what's going on. Lucky number seven, it doesn't come up. You know, don't ever assume investing is anything similar to gambling or speculating. And risky money is dumb money. But every investment requires some level of risk. Why do you think so many people refuse to take the steady eddy course and instead seek the aggressive investment because they're getting a high. And oftentimes people get so frustrated and are so burned, then they throw the towel in and they just do stupid. Oh, I just buy an index fund. I'm going to get average and I'm just, I can't, I can't deal with it anymore. The ups and downs are just too great. So they are able to control their addiction by ignoring. Boy, is that ever stupid. And look at the overwhelming majority of people who are putting money into that kind of an investment approach. Remember, half the people in this country are dumber than sacks of rocks. This is why we say it's important to be different. Now, different situations have different levels of addiction. For example, Ivan Pavlov in the 1890s, he had his dogs. And so what he did is he inserted a small tube in the mouth of his dogs and he was measuring saliva. And then he noticed something. He noticed something. He noticed that when he heard footsteps, the salivation increased. You see, the anticipation by the dogs resulted in a learned response. It triggered the production of saliva. It triggered something in the brain. Conditioned learning. Learning by association. Okay, imagine you have a sound that begins ticking in the background. It can be obnoxious. It's like the Chinese water torture. Tick tock, tick tock. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Every time you get ready to spend money on something you absolutely unequivocally, beyond an exclusion of every reasonable doubt, you don't need. This is a pure pleasure spending of money. What are you going to do? 
Well, you put in your earbuds and you turn on this hideous TikTok that you hear in the background right now. And then you take a needle, not too long, but sharp enough and long enough, and you jam it in your thigh. And it hurts. You just stuck yourself with a needle. Who in the right mind does that? You have this horrific sound now, and then you just shoved a needle in the side of your leg. Oh, it draws a little bit of blood, but it heals right away. But what in the hell's the matter with you? Guess what? Your desire to spend money is gone. You were distracted. You're distracted by this hideous sound and by that pain. So you walk out of the store, you go to your car, you sit down and think to yourself, what the hell was I thinking about doing? What, what's the matter with me? But then the next time you go to the store, you get ready to buy something that you don't need. You put that earbud in again and you stab yourself again with a needle and you do that over and over and over. Now, right now you're thinking, I'm nuts. Paul is out of his mind. Yeah, I'm out of my mind because what we're doing is laying a visual picture that some people are so in deep trouble with addictive behaviors when it comes to spending that these are the kind of things you have to do. You're conditioning yourself like Pavlov noticed and did with his dogs so that in the future, when you get ready to spend money, you automatically know to turn on your phone, put in your earbuds, you hear that TikTok, and even though you no longer jam yourself with a needle, you feel the pain. It's there. It's in your brain. Now, if you're really going to do it right, you're no longer spending. You need to reward yourself. So by not spending, do something that's pleasurable. It might be some type of sexual activity with your partner. Hey, how you like that? I'm no longer experiencing the pain of buying things I don't need. And because I didn't do it, well, it's time for a little whoopee time. Now that's a whole lot better than spending money. I have said over and over repeatedly that there are micro habits and you need to start small. Macro habits lead to meso habits. Those medium-sized habits lead to macro, big habits. And then two other things happen. When you start doing those meso habits, eventually they become automatics. And I believe without any doubt or hesitation that you do something long enough, your brain starts to rewire itself. I don't care what anyone in the medical field has to say. Man changes. We've been doing this for a long time. We've gone from knuckle dragger to tragedite to very well read and knowledgeable people. We've had horrific things happen to our earth and we've gone back and regressed and we've moved forward again. I don't know how many times we've gone up and down, but what I do know is that we've changed. People change. People breed. People breed for the good and for the bad. But as time goes along, you start to rewire your brain. Now, there are some things that are reptilian. There's always going to be that addiction. It's how you control it. How do you do what you do to keep yourself in check? Now, look, most financial firms are not going to talk to you like this. No. They're going to give you the same crapola year in, year out. Oh, it's tax season, so let's talk about IRAs. Oh, let's talk about whether we should convert our IRA traditional to a Roth. Oh, it's that time in the year when the kids are going to school or when births, this is always common, when, they, when it's about that time of year where a lot of ladies are having kids, you get all the life insurance all of the life insurance commercials. And then at the end of the year, everybody, it's the same thing over and over and over to the point where you shut down. Now we do it different. So this is what we do here at Fixed Cost Financial. We talk about real world issues in addictions. Yeah. Addictions and spending, it's real. And that's a risky behavior you're going to have to get control over. I don't care how rich or poor you are. Some people are better at it than others. 
And even if you don't have a problem, you need to look at those who are dependent upon you or who you are dependent upon and make that determination if you are indirectly suffering from someone else's addiction. We'll call it at this point. This is a good point to stop. This is also a good point to sit back and start thinking about things and accepting that every single person has some form of an addiction. How are you going to get over it? In the weeks, months, and years ahead, if you stick with us, this will be an ongoing journey. So for this edition, let's call it. This concludes this episode of Connecting Dots. Thank you for listening. Please visit our sponsor, Fixed Cost Financial, the home of fixed cost investing, at fixedcostinvesting.com. That's fixedcostinvesting.com. We got love that will never need to hide. Love will always rise above. Whatever comes, we will be just fine. If I am yours and you are mine. Take my hand and let's fly away to another galaxy. Hold me close, I want to feel your love. Together we are free. Just be with me. Just be with me. Just be with me. Now we're one with the sun over our heads And at night we'll be the stars We can go any place that we want to I don't care if that's too far Take my hand and let's fly away To another galaxy Hold me close, I want to feel your love Together we are free just be with me Just be with me Just be with me All rights reserved. Reproduction prohibited without written authorization.